0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So, I guess you're aware that emails are something that are sent, right? Packages, they're sent. Text messages are sent. Soldiers are sent. Did you know that you and I are sent? In a passage that we find in the book of John, here are some incredible words, and I wonder if you would read them with me. They'll be on the screen. Look at John chapter 20, verses 19. 23 this morning, John 20, 19 through 23, here is the word of God, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and what did he say, church? Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, here's where we're going to focus. As the Father has sent me, I also, what? Send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. And then another troublesome passage, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven, but if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. That's what in the world is going on there. We're going to unpack that just a little bit too. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And Father, I beg you this morning to bring illumination of your word to our hearts. And Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey in Jesus' name. So did did you hear that? Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Now, this is extremely significant. It's coming at the end of John's gospel because, listen, the primary identity throughout the gospel of John has been that, Jesus is the sent one. And repeatedly throughout the gospel, the main designation for God in the book of John is the father who has sent Jesus. Next time you read through the gospel of John, just circle the word sent every time it appears and you will find that it appears over 60 times in the book of John. And now in these final conversations with his disciples, Jesus is passing on his identity as the sent one now to them. Really to all of us. So so much of all that we are and all that we do as followers of Jesus flows out of this identity as being sent ones. I don't know if you remember the story and maybe you've read the story on your own, but I've told it from this very pulpit before. But Albert Einstein was once on a a train journey and and he was traveling from one place to another and he was looking around in his pockets and and in his luggage and he he couldn't find his ticket. And so as the conductor was coming by to, to punch those tickets, the conductor realized who Dr. Einstein was and he began to say, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We know who you are. And Dr. Einstein was like, well, that's good. I'm glad you know who I am, and I know who I am. The problem is not that I don't know who I am. The problem is I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) You see, for the believer, who we are and where we are going are intertwined. If you forget who you are, you can't really know where you're going. And so... As a follower of Jesus, you and I have been sent just like Christ was. And that means that regardless of whatever else we do in life, whatever your profession is, whatever even your personality is, or what your spiritual gifts are, where you live, you and I are sent ones. Those are Jesus's words, not not mine. So in another similar fashion, the same thing is said, but differently. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, you've heard these words before. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Just like he breathed upon them here. And they're sent ones. Now we find when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. It says that we will be his witnesses. Now, now think about that. Of all the things that Jesus could have said here... He could have said, and you guys will be my worshipers, or you guys will be my prayer warriors, or you guys will be my Bible studiers, or my justice advocates, and all those would have been true, but Jesus chose to say, you will be my witnesses. You see, witnesses are sent ones that go and tell what they've seen and heard. That means that in everything else we do, that's Primarily a part of who we are. This is part of our identity. We are sent ones. Now, maybe, maybe that's intimidating to you. In a room this size, I'm sure that is. Maybe you're like witness, a sent one. I don't even know, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know where to start. But you see, here's Jesus' powerful and hopeful promise to you and to me. He said in Matthew 4, 19, he said, he said to them, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people, of men. And Jesus didn't say, if you follow me, you're going to figure this thing out and and make yourself into a fisher of people. He just said, follow me, and this is what I would do in you. So if you're following me, you're going to be fishing for people. And the conclusion there is, is if I'm not fishing, I'm probably not following because we are sent ones. So if we're not fishing for people and being witnesses, here's the conclusion. You're not following Jesus. This is the conclusion that we have to come to because Jesus says that we are sent ones. It's a part of what it means to be a Christ follower. Right before being sent in the Gospel of John, right before those words, a few chapters, John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus, I have some good news for you this morning. God has appointed you to be fruitful. He chose you for that purpose, and you may feel like you don't have much potential. You may feel like you're in this room this morning, and you're maybe just a little spiritually lacking where maybe others are. Maybe that you'll never make much of an impact, but Jesus has declared a better word over you. I have appointed you to go and bring forth fruit. That's what he's going to do in you, and that's what he's called you to do. You see, the same power that opened the eyes of the blind and the same power that walked on water and the same power that multiplied the fishes and the loaves can make the same promise that you will bear fruit come true in your life. So I want us to focus in this morning on the sent life. Let's just see if Jesus doesn't begin to fulfill his promise to us even this morning about being sent one. I have to, to let you know, there there's some great men that have influenced this message in my life. There's some great men of God. There's been some seminary professors. There have been many people that spoke this message into my life. So some of this is not necessarily my own. And I want you to quickly understand that. I've also got some info here that I borrowed from Dr. Heather Holman in a book called Scent that I read years ago during my doctoral dissertation. But I want you to know that I come this morning as a man who wants to share this with you, that sent people recognize the particular parts. Sent people recognize the particular parts. Let me unpack that for you. Sent people understand that God has a part and you have a part. And both of those are indispensable. Some people recognize the particular parts. What's God's part and what's my part in the scent life? So so you have to understand some principles. And and we find those in experiencing God. We find those in other places. These aren't necessarily new as a church, but, but I want to remind you of them. Out of this passage, there's some things that just kind of jump forward. Because John, this passage was written in the context of John, so so I want to bring the context to bear upon what we're talking about here in these particular verses, and that is that God is always at work drawing people. God is always at work drawing people. It's true, we've been sent, but here's some good news, bringing others to Jesus is not on you. Only God can do that. And more good news, Jesus says that the Father is always at work around you doing just that, drawing people to Jesus. John 5, 17, the Bible says, but he answered them, my Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Do we ever find that those words have been rescinded? No. So God the Father and God the Son are still working As of now, the father is the one that draws. Jesus is the one that draws. The Holy Spirit is the one that creates interest in people. The Holy Spirit is the one that that convinces people and convicts people. And I can tell you, I just, I can't even begin to tell you what a relief that is to me. I'm not responsible for producing spiritual life, much even spiritual interest in the life of people. I don't bear the weight of creating interest in them or even convicting them. That's all God's work. That's what he does. God plays that part. He's always at work doing his part of drawing people. But secondly, I have to understand that God always uses his word in drawing people. God always uses his word. In other words, you need to understand that God always uses people who have his word to draw people to Jesus. It's true that God is the one doing the work in them, but at the same time, you and I also have a part. Romans 10:13 through 17 says these words. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. How are they going to do that? Well, that's exactly what Paul says. How are they going to call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they going to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? Do not read me. That word preacher means euangelia. That means one that proclaims good news. But how are they to preach unless they are what, church? You're beginning to see it, right? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. However, they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Well, how are they going to get the word of Christ? That's where you and I come in. God does the drawing, God creates the interest, but we come bearing the word that God will use to create faith in their heart. This is where we join God at giving people the gospel, the word of God, which God then takes to create faith in their life. My role, my role is to sow the word into people's hearts and lives that God would use to produce the fruit of salvation. So God has a part And I have a part. But then watch this. God always uses his witnesses in drawing people. God continually invites you and me to share the word with people that he's working on. God's always doing this. Jesus said he was sent to join in what the father was doing around him. And just as Jesus was sent to join the Father and doing what was around him, you and I have been sent to join the Father and what he's doing around us. God is always at work, drawing people to himself, and he's always inviting you and I into that work, which is where verse 23 of our passage comes into play. John 20, 23, this can be incredibly difficult, but watch this. It says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, this this almost makes it sound like Jesus is giving us the authority to forgive sins. But let me help you with some basic biblical hermeneutics or basic Bible study understandings. We never interpret, never interpret a vague, unclear passage without first going to where it is very clear. So when we get to the difficult passages, we back up and we say, okay, this is a little murky. Where else has it been stated in a clear fashion? And let's interpret the unclear in light of the clear. So you and I would know just from a cursory reading of the Bible that nowhere in the Bible does the Bible ever say that we forgive people of their sins. The Bible constantly communicates that only God can forgive people of their sins. But just think about it if anybody in the history of the world would have had the authority to forgive sins, it would have been Peter. And Peter was standing in that original group when he heard these words, because Peter was one of these apostles. And he was recognized as one of the main leaders of the church. And so therefore, some people and, and think that Peter was able to forgive people of their sins, and then he passed that on. It's called papal successionism, that the pope or those in places of that can forgive people of their sins... And if if we understand the scripture that way, we're going to miss a whole lot of the other scripture because not one time ever in the Bible do we read that Peter took the authority upon himself to forgive people of their sins. Never. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter preaches the gospel to a group of Gentiles, he says in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, he says, all the prophets testify of him, meaning Jesus. That through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Peter didn't say, I forgive your sins. He said, the Bible says, if you believe in Jesus, he will forgive you of your sins. And I'm just here to tell you about what Jesus has already said. Stay with me here. This is incredibly important. Because I want to help you with a difficult passage that you're probably going to be hit with by your family and friends who may not share your faith. Go back to John 20, 23. If this phrase doesn't mean then that we have the authority to forgive sins, what does it mean? Well, I'm going to let the Bible explain the Bible. So the phrase there, if you forgive someone's sins, they have been forgiven, is in the perfect tense tense in Greek. I'm not trying to impress you with that, but it's important because not only are the words inspired, the tense that they're written in is inspired as well. You need to understand that inspiration applies to everything about the way the Bible has been written. So this means that you could read this just like it's written. If you forgive anyone's sins, listen, they have already been forgiven. This is critical to understand. Please pay attention here. Because I don't want you to hear something that I'm not saying. I want you to hear exactly what I am saying. Jesus was saying that Peter and the apostles were given the ability to recognize when God had saved someone and the authority to validate their acceptance of the gospel and assuring those Gentile believers that when they believed the gospel, they were indeed forgiven and placed into the family of God. In other words, just like it said in Acts 10.43, just like the Bible always says, if we believe in Christ, if we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, when we say that, when we confess that, when we believe that in our heart, then those who have shared that message with us When they see that we trust in Jesus, we have the authority and the ability to say you have been forgiven, not because we forgive you, but because you believe that Jesus has forgiven you. And we can assure people that they have been forgiven based on their confession of Jesus. That's what John is saying here. So if you forgive any of their sins, they are forgiven means that when we tell them your sins are forgiven because you've trusted in Christ, we can tell you they have been forgiven because Jesus has promised to forgive you of your sins. And this is how you and I join God in his saving work. Because God is continually at work convicting people of their sin, drawing people into himself, and then you and I bring the word of God to bear upon that situation. We bring the gospel of Jesus and his forgiveness to bear on that situation. That's our part. So we plant the seed on a heart that's been prepared by God, and then God takes that seed, and he brings forth faith, and then they say, can Jesus forgive me? And then they trust Jesus, and then we say, yes, you have been forgiven. This is what He. It means that we understand and recognize the particular parts that God plays and we play. And sent people, sent people understand the particular parts. We just get to join God. You see, it was Martin Luther who said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody ever heard about it. Carl F. Henry said this, he said, the gospel means good news but only if it gets there on time. Friends, I'm just trying to tell you here today, the gospel doesn't do any good. Forgiveness doesn't help anyone if they never hear about it. And so the question is, how are they going to hear about it? That's where you and I come in. Because we are sent. You and I are sent. Sent people recognize the particular parts, but then sent people recognize the prominence of place, the prominence of place. So then where has Jesus sent us? Where are we to go? Well, Acts 17, 26 and 27 says this, and he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined (laughs) their appointed times. Did you know that you have been born when you've been born because God chose it? (laughs) And the boundaries of their habitation. In other words, you thought you pulled up and bought that ranch, but no, God had already said this is where you're going to (laughs) live. Why? That they would seek God if perhaps that they might fill around for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Paul says that God has sovereignly arranged, listen, the location and the borders of nations so that different nations can hear the gospel. You see what Paul's doing there? Paul's put people who have the gospel near people who don't have the gospel so that the people who don't have the gospel can hear the gospel. You didn't come to LaGrange because it was just a cool place to come to. You came to LaGrange because God said you were sent and I'm sending you to LaGrange so the people who live in LaGrange can hear about the gospel. Because God has determined your appointed times and your boundaries. God has appointed us so that the allotted places of our dwelling are so that your neighbor's can hear about Jesus, you are the one that's supposed to share it with them. Sent people understand that they're in their profession. That they're in their neighborhood, that they live in the particular college dorm that they live in, that they're sitting next to this particular person in that math class, that you live in the Grange, Smithville, Fayetteville, Columbus, Waco, wherever it is that you live this morning, that you live there for a particular reason, because sent people always have their radar on for where God is at work around them, and they're always thinking and processing like this, what do I see? Where is God at work around me? What needs do I see? What is happening in this situation on my street, in my class, at my school? What's happening around me where I recognize the Father as at work? What do I see in this place? Went to McDonald's not too long ago. There was an employee that was there. And I noticed he was taking out the trash. And as he came back in, he looked completely just defeated. I had my cup of decaf coffee, and man, I had a meeting to get to, and I didn't want to be late, but in that moment, I recognized very quickly, God, you've put me in this place for a reason. I went and put my coffee in my truck, and I came back in, and I said, hey, listen, I don't know... I don't know what's going on. I don't want you to think I'm weird, but I just need you to understand this. There's a God in heaven whom I serve. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's just now let me know that you're hurting. I just want you to know that I see you. And I'd love to hear, man, what's on your heart. For the next 30 minutes, this man unpacked his life for me and wept like a baby right there in the lobby of McDonald's. After that, I invited him to come to a Bible study that I was hosting on Monday nights at that time. He shows up. He shows up again. He shows up again. And over the period of about two months, I was able to share the gospel with him about eight different times. Did he come to know Jesus? No. But for the next two months, was able to walk him through some of the most painful things that he had ever been through in his life. And then, out of the blue, on Christmas Eve, during our Christmas Eve service, he came to our church and brought a co-worker from church and said, this church will help you like they helped me. Why do I tell you that? Because you see, I'm looking. Because I understand a theology of place that everywhere I go, I'm looking for where the Father is at work. And the Father wants me to understand that I am in a place for a reason. not just there. I, I don't go to the grocery store to get groceries. I go to the grocery store to see where God's at work. And if I come home with groceries, that's a good day. When I go to get gas, I go to get gas in my car. Yeah, but no, I'm going there to see where God's at work. And if I happen to get gas, it's another good day. We have got to transform our thinking to understand that everywhere and every place that we go, the Father is at work and we understand the prominence of the place that we're in or we will miss 90% of what God is doing. We have to understand this. God has appointed our place. What do I see? 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every every place. You see, you're there to stink up the place in a good way. And when you live this way, there's no telling what could happen. God could just open the nose of somebody to the Jesus that's in you. Like that story above, none of this happens. I promise you none of that. I promise you church. None of this happens because I'm a pastor. I need you to understand that being a pastor is an impediment to reaching people most times. Because the, mo- the first, when they hear that I'm a pastor, they shut down and turn away immediately. It will be a little bit easier for you. I'm just aware that God is always at work around me. And my job is to spread the aroma, to meet needs where I can, to ask questions, to share my story, just to point people to Jesus and to see what surfaces. Now, some of you hear this and you you say, I can't even imagine striking up a conversation with a stranger. You're not an extrovert. Newsflash, neither am I. God doesn't call one personality type to be a witness over another. Your personality was specifically designed by God for his purpose, and you can reach people that, that, that I can't. I'm introverted by nature. You're extroverted. You can reach people I can't. I can reach people you can't. But for many of you, you're more like Timothy, in whom the Bible tells us that Paul said in 2 Timothy, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Why does he have to tell Timothy to do the work of an evangelist? Because it doesn't come easy to Timothy. Here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't come easy for me either. For some, evangelism is just so natural. For others of us, we have to work at it. But the identity of a sent one and a witness is for every single one of us. Here's some practical ways to help with seeing where God is at work. Understanding the prominence of place that I've been using, and I want to pass them on to you. When somebody, when you see something going on in somebody's life, you just happen to notice something that's going on. Here's a really good question. This this really sounds like there's some spiritual dimensions to this for you. Do you feel like you're on a spiritual journey? This past Thursday, I was at a business here in town, and in case those people are listening by way of radio, I'm not going to tell you where, and I'm not going to tell you who, because I don't want to embarrass them. But I was just in a particular business, getting something done, and I just had to look over to my right, and there's a couple sitting over here, and the, one of the partners in that married couple, or, or dating couple, or whatever they were, was reading a book to the man. And, man, they just started reading some stuff, and I just said, hey, um, they were reading a book on finances, and I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious When you guys look at finances, do you think that finances are all just about, you know, numbers or is there any spiritual dimension to finances? (laughs) We got, we got real quick. Now, I wish I could tell you that, that it was one of those, you know, come to Jesus moments, but the man just said, Hey, you know, man, just speaking about that, man, he's like, you know, good to meet you. I'm such and such. And I was like, Hey, well, I'm Steve. And. I said, hey, man, you guys been living here long? No, we just kind of moved into the area about four or five months ago. Well, man, you guys must be missing your family. Yeah, I'm missing my family. I said, man, is that, is that a spiritual book or, or is that just kind of just money book? And he said, yeah, man, it's it's really a spiritual book. I said, that's great, man. You guys have a church? He said, yeah, we got a church we go to back in Austin. And here, here's what I did, right? I gave him my testimony, which I'm going to show you how I do that in just a second. And I said, man, has anything like that ever happened to you? Because just because they go to church doesn't mean he knows Jesus. And so then he gave me his answer. And, and man, I was just like, that's really cool. When I said, hey, listen, man, I just want to ask you, man, while we're waiting here, if you and I see other people come in, would you just help me figure out whether they're at spiritually? Can we just tag team this? Will you pray and I speak and I'll pray while you speak? And he was like, sure, we can do that. And we both left there encouraged. <laughs> well, see, if he hadn't have heard the gospel, it would have been a good day. And because he had already heard the gospel, it was even a better day. It's just a win-win. You can't lose when you get out there. Here's another thing that I began to do. I just don't ask people, is anything they're doing, or you want a spiritual journey, is there any spiritual dimension to that? Because that's a really good question. Here's another one. i recently experienced a renewal in my prayer life. Is there anything that I can pray about for you? I have a D-circle on uh, certain mornings that I meet with two or three other men and I go to a particular restaurant fairly early in the morning and I just I ask this question oftentimes to the cashiers there. I just go by and I say, hey, listen, man, we Lord's doing this really cool thing in my prayer life and I'm going to go back and I'm going to pray when I get home. Is there anything I can pray about for you? You'd be amazed what people share with you. You'd be amazed about the conversations and then you get the follow-up. And so I pull out my, my phone, and I write down that, and I say, hey, listen, here's, this is going to my prayer app. This is how I pray. I'm going to write this down. So the next time I'm in, can I check on you about that? And you'd be amazed at how people just begin to open up. When, when I'm in a restaurant, when I'm in a restaurant, and there's a waitress or a waiter around, here's something I say. Hey, we're about to pray and give thanks for our food. Is there anything, anything like in your life, like, like family, friends, school, health, finances that we could pray about? And by the way, here's something that's free. When I am talking to somebody and they're not of faith and they say, well, hey, I'm an atheist, I don't really pray. They, they, they tell me, here's two things people like that always tell me. They say, well, I don't believe in God or the power of prayer, but you can still pray and then they give me all this stuff. It's, I'm just telling you, it's amazing. When talking to somebody who's been raised maybe in a different religion than Christianity, here's a great question. Hey, man, what does your tradition say about Jesus? Jesus. Someone, what what, what does your church believe about Jesus? What does it say? What does it teach you? Here's one I've just started using. I just started using this this past couple of weeks. It's it's been awesome. I just say, anybody that I'm around, I I, I did this with a person here just recently at a gas station. I just said this. I said, hey, do you have 30 seconds to read something that changed my life? Nine out of 10 people are going to say, sure. I hand them my phone and these words... Or on my phone. It says, I didn't grow up in church, but I was a fairly respectable kid. I knew there was a God, but I didn't know or have a personal, how to have a personal relationship with Him. When I was overseas in the military, I went to a church service and heard that Jesus loved me and died to pay for my sin. I fell under deep conviction of my sin. I wanted complete forgiveness and to be right with God. I surrendered my life to Christ that night, and I live every day with the love and peace of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's my testimony in about 15 seconds. And then I just ask them, hey, has anything like that ever happened to you? Or does that even interest you? Can you guys just see, man, it just, it just takes, man, being ready. That, that, my testimony is in my phone. I can pull it up at any point in time with anybody and just ask that question. I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to be boastful. I'm just trying to tell you, I know that I have been sent, and everywhere that I have been sent, I am looking for where the Father is at work because I want to join him in every single place. So, you see, I'm in a place for a reason. The Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 13 that we're farmers. And they were going about sowing seed. And in that culture, in that day, they were casting seed everywhere. Some seed lands on good soil. Some seed lands on soil that has weeds and gets choked out. Some, some seed just sown and the devil comes and take it. But listen, you just keep sowing the seed. You just keep throwing it out there. The Bible says in Matthew four nineteen that we're fishermen. That, mean, that means to me that I've got to keep my pole of the gospel in the water because you just never know when you're going to catch one. The Bible says that we're farmers throwing the seed, that we're fishermen. That's what we do. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ in 2 Corinthians, which means that we, we set up these little outposts in this country, and we represent the king of another country. We're to represent that king, to tell people about that king, that people can come to us and ask us questions and seek guidance. And if they need anything from that king, we are his ambassador. So sent people, recognize the particular parts, realize the prominence of place, but thirdly, sent people rely on the power of prayer, the priority of prayer. So Jesus says, he's sending me, I got it. Where, to whom? Where do I start? What do I do first? It's often been said that before we talk to people about God, we should talk to God about people. And I begin every day praying over a list of lost names. I begin every day praying over the people in my neighborhood that don't know Jesus. When I walk, I pound their houses with prayer. When I go into the gym, I pray over the treadmills and the people that work. And whether you realize it or not, this morning I was walking around here praying for you as I straighten the chairs every single Sunday because I believe to rely on the priority of prayer. I will not know where God is at work unless I do what Jesus did and get with the Father. He said, the Father had sent me. How did he know that? Because he had been with the Father. Jesus ministered to, preached the gospel to, and spoke to numerous people. But before he did, we often find what Jesus did very early in the morning, or even sometimes throughout an entire evening. Jesus prayed. That's how Jesus could know where the Father was at work. That's why Jesus could see where the Father was at work. That's why Jesus could know exactly who and when to minister. Because he prayed. The author of the book that I mentioned earlier tells a story. She says that, that, well, you need to understand that she is the professor of English at Penn State. And she wrote that book called Scent. And and Penn State is an obviously very secular school. And she said that, that often before class, she would walk through the classroom and pray over her empty seats, sometimes kneeling down beside students whom she's really interceding for. And she prays over them by name, asking God to bless them. And she says, I often pray Psalm 119. She says, I pray over these seats. Turn their eyes from worthless things to you, the true and living God. One spring, she said she got a Facebook message from a parent. And you know this, as a college professor, you never want to hear from a parent. That is really bad news. But in this case, this woman said, my husband and I are coming into town, and we'd really love to take you out to lunch. The teacher said, I knew that their son was—I had a good relationship with him, but I assumed that he was a typical frat boy. He'd come into class early. And one day, she said he came in, and he said, hey, do you and your husband have a great time tailgating at our football games? Well, somehow in the conversation it come out that my husband and I are not heavy drinkers, to which he said, well, then what do you guys do for fun? And I told him a few things she said, and he didn't seem that impressed, but that was all that we ever really spoke. The semester ended, and his parents showed back up on the break to take her out to lunch, and the mom tells the teacher, she said, we just wanted to tell you thank you. We'd almost lost our son last semester. We tried to raise him right, but then he came to Penn State, and he's partying and drinking all the time. She said, but then a couple of months ago, he started talking about this Christian professor. And the professor's like, I never told him that I was a Christian, just that I didn't get drunk. So I guess that's what communicated to him that I must be a Christian. He started wanting to drive home to come to church with me and his father. We had been praying that God would send someone to open his eyes to the truth. And so I shared with her, she says, several times a week that I prayed over her son's seat, several times a week I'd prayed that God would turn his eyes from worthless things to the living God, that God would just bless him. And the husband, who was a mountain of a man, had been quiet. Most of the conversation said, if you ever feel like you're never making a difference, remember my son. Because unless you would have prayed, he would have never come back to Christ. Listen, if you ever think that what you're doing and your prayers is not worth it, I want you to realize that you may be sitting next to someone, rooming with someone, working with someone, because somebody's actually prayed that you would be the one that would share Christ with them. Nothing of eternal value happens apart from prayer. Pray for people by name that don't know the Lord. Pray that the Spirit would open their eyes. Pray that the Spirit would bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Pray that they would understand the love of God for them in Christ. Pray that people might be saved. But send people renew the permanent power. Send people renew the permanent power. Back to John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, verse 22, this is what the Bible says. Jesus said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you haven't been in church in a while, this may seem strange, right? You're like people just blowing on each other, and they get the spirit. I mean, how's that? Hey, Mike. I mean, that sounds weird. And that just sounds kooky. I don't know. See, Jesus was anointing them temporarily with the Holy Spirit. For many of my seasoned Bible readers, you'll say, "Well, didn't the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost?" Sure did. But did you know that before Pentecost, people actually had interactions with the Holy Spirit? Believers throughout the Old Testament were filled with the Spirit at various times. At Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit permanently became infused into the hearts of believers. So Jesus was giving them a foretaste, a preview of what this looked like. And what is being shown is this, the absolute importance and dependence of the Holy Spirit in living the sent life. You will not be able to do this without the power of the Spirit. Being sent is not, hmm, I'm going to have to preach this. Being sent is not about doing great things for Jesus. Being sent means that Jesus is doing great things through you. You have to understand that. Being sent means yielding myself to the Spirit to be used by the Spirit. It means being perceptive to where he is at work around me, joining him, relying on him, looking to him, and being filled continually with the power of the Spirit. John 5, 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of God can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. And whatever the father does, these things the son does in the same way. You see, listen, I don't witness for Jesus. Jesus witnesses through me. You may think you don't have that much potential or ability to do these things, but it's not about you and your ability. It's about your availability. It's not about what you can do for God. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do through you. Jesus said that not one, that one believer, Jesus said that one believer yielded to the Spirit. Listen to me. One believer yielded to the Spirit had more potential in ministry than the most talented leader on the planet. One person yielded to the spirit could accomplish more than the most talented person on the planet. You're saying, where do you get that? Well, listen. Who do you think was the greatest preacher of all time? Well, before you answer, let's ask this. Jesus' opinion of that probably matters. Who did Jesus say was his favorite preacher? Quiz time right now. Pop quiz. Well, I'm going to give you the answer. It's one of those open book tests. Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now watch this. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. (laughs) What does it mean to be least in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, there's some ideas. It means to be least talented, least spiritually gifted, know the least about the Bible. You have the worst personality. Yet you're the least of some of those. Now think about it. Think about it. Someone in this room is actually least in the kingdom of heaven in this room. I mean, I'm not saying that to be mean, just mathematically that has to be true, right? I mean, somebody's at the bottom. And here's the thing, right now you're probably thinking, well, I guess that's me. And God the Father's like, yeah, that's you. But what I'm telling you is, listen, even if that were true, God says that you can even do more than John the Baptist did if you'll just follow the Spirit. It just takes not you, it's you giving yourself over to the Holy Spirit that you are greater than even John the Baptist when you fall in line with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you have something John doesn't. John was temporarily anointed with the Holy Spirit, but you have the Holy Spirit permanently, permanently living inside of you. You see, if the Holy Spirit is inside of me, it's no longer about my ability for Jesus, but my availability to his spirit. The Holy Spirit can do more through one surrendered vessel than all the apostles have been able to accomplish on their own. If we're going to live effectively as sent people, you and I have to develop the ability to pick up on what he's doing. We have to rely permanent on the permanent power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is not about the apostles coming up with brilliant plans to reach the world and asking God to bless it. It's about them prayerfully discerning where the Holy Spirit was at work and joining the spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak, lead, and empower any Christ follower who's praying about and looking to live the sent life. So, sent people recognize the particular parts, the prominence of prayer, rely on the priority of all this stuff, and they renew this power. But lastly, very quickly, sent people respond to the pervasive platform. Respond to the pervasive platform. I mean, who and where are we sent Who can we assure people of the forgiveness of sins to anyone, anywhere, at any time? There's a story that I often have heard that's been used in messages and seminaries around the world. I want to tell it to you and then I want to correct it. There's a story that's told that during the 19th century, two Moravian missionaries by the name of John Dober and David Nishmont, they became burdened to reach the inhabitants of a nearby island... And that island we now know would be St. Thomas. And most of the people that were there on the island of St. Thomas had been taken there as slaves. So these two Moravian missionaries, they, they wanted to go and share the gospel with these slaves. But the plantation owners, who were not spiritual people at all, feared that if these slaves got their heads full of the idea of being made in the image of God and valuable to God, they might revolt, so they told these missionaries, no, you can't come here. So the story goes that the missionaries sold themselves into slavery to take the gospel to those slaves. And as the word spread about their brave sacrifice, the Moravians up and down the eastern coast, they continued to say the statement these men made famous. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's a really inspiring story, right? I mean, it's true. It is true that the plantation owner said no, that these men offered themselves to be sold into slavery. But even the owner said no to that as well. So these two guys, they boarded a ship. They weren't in chains as free men on October the 8th, 1732 to live among the people of St. Thomas outside the plantation. They prayed prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, looking for any chance to engage them. For 50 years, they labored in the West Indies over that plantation without any aid from anyone from anywhere. Every day for 50 years. And never saw a single thing happen. Never. It was often mundane. It was often boring. But when they finally died, Something had happened that they had never known about. Over 13,000 people had come to Christ simply because they just prayed. There are converts all over. There are churches. My wife and I went on a cruise, and we got to see some of these places in St. Thomas and St. Croix and Jamaica and Barbados and St. Kitts that are all a result of what these missionaries did because they believe in living the sent life. It's one thing to sell yourself into slavery in one dramatic gesture, but it's to get up every day and to lay down my life for the sake of other people, even when I don't see that it looks like it's worth it. And so their statement, may the lamb that was slain receive the word of his suffering, was not said in one rhetorical flourish. It was said every single day they got up. Now let me ask you this question. Do you think that you're here this morning and you're here just in the life of, of Christ just to acquire things. I mean, are you here for the purpose of just yourself? Do you just, you're just here on this planet to realize that you have dreams that you want to make happen. Is it just about just living the good life or the American life or the American dream? Or could it be, it could it be that you have been sent? And if that stuff is not what we're here to do. You see, you're likely not going to live the scent life in one big, dramatic, mission-filled obedience moment. It's going to be by continually living out a life of service, a life of constantly looking for God as at work, asking good questions, inviting other people to your house, sharing your testimony, and giving yourself to meet the needs of others around you. And because those two men obeyed, 13,000 slaves and many others came to Christ. Let me ask you this question. If two men could just be obedient to live the sent life and over 13,000 people come to Christ, what would happen if a church this side actually decided to live the sent life? I'm going to promise you LaGrange is not going to get reached just simply because I'm out there doing it. It's going to take more than me. And I'm asking you, will you join? Maybe you're here this morning and because you put your yes on the table in Isaiah 6, 8 in that moment of prayer... Then today you realize that you need to be at this missions team meeting to go to El Salvador with us. And you don't know how God's going to pay for it. But that's not what you're interested in. Because you said yes and God said go and you're going to go. There's a meeting being held here in just a few moments. Come get some information about that. Don't say no because of money or time. Just You said yes. Just let God work it out. I promise you he will. Maybe. Maybe you're here and you put your yes on the table because maybe the Lord has been speaking to you and challenging you to live the sent life, to look at fostering children or adopting children, just like Nathan and Sarah did, so that those children have a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's the way you're going to live the sent life. Could it be today that maybe you're understanding that you're sent? You're going to understand the border situation far different. And you're going to understand that God put our nation closer to the other nations, not so that we could keep people out, but because God's determined the borders of the nations and the boundaries which we live. And the reason people are coming across our border is because we have the gospel right here in La Grange, Texas, and all the way down through there, and that God's getting those people into our country so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So rather than worrying about what we're going to do, we actually say, God, thank you. I don't have to go there. They're coming to me. This couldn't get easier. Don't read your Bible through the lens of politics, friends. Read it through the scent life lens. Or maybe you'll consider helping out with Feed the Need on Monday evenings right here in the Grange. Or maybe the Scent Life for you is working with the Amen Food Pantry right here in Tant or working with Second Chance Ministry. Or maybe you'll invite tons of people to our Easter service. Maybe that's the way you can take the first steps of living the Scent Life. I don't know. Maybe it could be a person in your comp- apartment complex or in your class at school will get to hear a chance to hear about Jesus and experience forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven because you realize you were the not to get an education primarily. You were there because God wants you to be a witness who got an education while being a witness. Jesus' main identity in the Gospel of John is the sent one. And as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. We are sent to others like Jesus was sent to us and that's my motivation. If you're a Christian here, the reason you're here, the reason you know God, the reason you have a hope, the reason you have been forgiven is because Jesus was sent for you. You are here this morning because he didn't live the life of privilege that he was entitled to. He emptied himself. He became a servant for you. He washed your feet. He took your shame, and he died on a cross to save and redeem you. And listen, everything in your life now is because of he has been good to you, and he says to you, just like I died to me and I was faithful and it cost me just like the Father sent me to you I am now sending you to other people your response then is only one here am I here am I send me that is the only answer And see, for most of us, we don't understand the abundant life that Jesus has promised because we're not living the obedient life that he prescribed. You get in on what God's doing and you get to live and feel like God feels because God is always living the sent life. So maybe you're here and you're like, Here I am, send me, this is my identity. And you're going to do some obedient things, but maybe you're here and as my my team comes, maybe you're here and you say, I've thought about this. I thought about you this morning. And if I were you, I would probably say it this way. I really don't know how I feel about you trying to convert me in this message. I want you to know this morning that you're not a project to me. And I'm not pretending to care so that I can try to sell you Jesus. I want you to know that if I did care about you, which I do, and I believe that I had the answer for death itself, wouldn't you want me to tell you? I mean, if I believe what I really believe to be true, that everybody apart from Jesus was spending eternity in hell, if I really believe that, wouldn't you want me to tell you so that you didn't go to hell? I mean, wouldn't you expect that? I mean, just understand that's what we're doing this morning. I want you to understand how you can have heaven as your home, how you can have Jesus as your Savior, how you can realize everything that you've been created for, and you can get into a personal relationship with the God of this universe through placing your faith in Jesus, and all of a sudden, things make sense. I want you to know that this morning, before you can live the sent life, you first have to receive the sent one. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. This morning, maybe you need to continue to pray. Maybe you need to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? There's a lot. Maybe you need to repray. Lord, here I am. Send me. But I'm going to promise you, if you try to go out of this room and try to go witness to people without first praying about it, and first relying on the Holy Spirit, you'll do it for about two days, and you're about right where you were. Saying about you doing stuff for Jesus, about Him doing it through you. Would you rise to your feet? Let's pray. Father, as you have sent Jesus, you send us. And I pray, Lord, that you are drawing and working even now in the hearts and minds of your people, just drawing them into this joyful thing that we get to join you. And Lord, if there'd be anyone in, the, in this room today within the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, I pray that today they would come Because you have been at work. You're doing your part. I've done my part. And now I pray that you just do your part again. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You come as we sing.